0: Let's pray together. Lord, we are so quick to lose sight of what really matters. We are so quick to lose sight of the glory, the majesty, the beauty, uh, the grace of Jesus. And so my prayer today is through your spirit, would you open our eyes to see his beauty. I pray that in this passage that is a little bit challenging for us, that you would uh, give us a clear view of our savior and help us to worship him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I I don't like to begin sermons with uh, beefs that I have, (laughs) but I'm gonna do it today. Uh, I met a guy who told me, you know what, I just love the New Testament, but when I read the Old Testament, it's as dry as dust. And I wanted to grab his Bible and say, can I see your Bible? I wanna see your Old Testament, because my Old Testament is anything but dry. When you open the Old Testament, I mean, right away you have beauty, page one. Page one is like an explosion of beauty, um, just the wonder of this world. Uh, Chapter two, you've got love. Uh, You've got chapter three, tragedy and judgment. And chapter four, you've got murder. It's anything but boring. Uh, You've got a brand new start. Later on, you've got uh, the judgment and then God wiping the earth clean and saying, let's try this again with uh, brand new people. And then you see the failure of that. You see God's rescue plan to uh, save this world. And only this is the first few chapters of Genesis. And uh, it's amazing how much of it explains the world the way it is. It's amazing how it just drags you in and fills you with like, this is us. This is the world that we live in. Well, then you go on. I will admit that uh, the Old Testament gets uh, a little bit hard sometimes. There's passages that are more challenging than others. But you read on and you've got family dysfunction. Friends, I have a conviction that every family is weird. (laughs) We're all just weird in different ways. I guarantee you no matter how dysfunctional a family you might have come from, it's got nothing compared with some of the stories in scripture. You read that and you just see the honesty of scripture dealing with real issues, real people, real struggles. You've got conflict between world powers. You've got tragic heroes. The fact that even the best characters in the Old Testament fall short. You've got stories of deliverance and grumbling of wars, or repeated cycles of judgment. The Old Testament, really I would argue is unrivaled in all of literature. If you're here today, if you're not a believer, uh, I would tell you, if you have even no interest in spiritual things, just from a purely uh, literate point of view, if you read the Old Testament, it's amazing. It it explains so much, but we believe it's more than just a great work of literature. It actually explains the world. It's God's revelation to us. And one of the things you see in the Bible that's strange for us today are angels. Not just a few angels, but lots of angels. And friends, uh, it's, today's a little bit weird. I don't know when you were reading the passage today. I don't know if how many people are wondering when you're reading it, where is this gonna go today? It's about angels. And in the Old Testament, we just see uh, so much about angels. Angels are part of God's creation. So uh, right away that tells us, uh, we. They're not eternal. Angels had a beginning. There was a time where there were no angels, but God created angels. Now, when were they created? We have no idea. Maybe it was the same time that God created the earth. Maybe it was before then. We understand that they're a higher order of of creature than humans are, but they're still created beings. They're not at the level of God. You know, for instance, they're not omnipresent. Uh, God is everywhere at once. Angels aren't. Angels can only be in one place at one time. They're not omniscient. Uh, Angels don't know everything, but they're spectacular. And all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, you've got all these stories of beauty and God working through dysfunction, uh, God bringing salvation to broken people. You've got all these conflicts going on and you have angels showing up over and over again. Now, what are angels? They're spirit beings. Uh, We don't know how many they are. Uh, Revelation 5.11 says, though, that they number myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They're good angels. There's bad angels. They appear to human beings all throughout scripture. And here's the thing that I don't know if you think about very much. They actually play a big role in our lives. Were you aware of that right now? Angels play a big role in this world and in your life. I'm gonna quote, uh, I I was trying to summarize, like how do I actually, because we don't think of angels, how do I actually summarize what scripture teaches about angels? So uh, let me just quote one work that describes what angels do today. According to scripture, angels work in the destiny of nations for the good of God's people. You open the newspaper, you read about uh, and I don't, under, I don't pretend to understand this, but you read about wars, you read about conflict, you read about this nation coming against this nation. And what scripture teaches is that actually there's the spiritual realm, angels are active in what's happening in this world. Good angels withstand Satan when the word of God is being preached, for instance, to the king of Persia. And so when the word of God is uh, preached right now, it could be that, Angels are actually helping us in some way. I don't understand this, but they're keeping Satan's demonic powers at bay while the word is being preached so we can receive it. They work in the protection of the righteous. Uh, Psalm 34, verse seven says that they uh, encamp around them that fear the Lord. I have a friend that was shot as a police officer in the line of duty. And uh, when he was shot, he was taken to the hospital. He didn't know if he was gonna live or not. And that verse came to mind that the angels of the Lord encamp those who fear him. As pastor showed up and said, I've got a verse for you, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear uh, him. Now, angels are active in protecting us. Who knows how many tragedies we've missed uh, because angels have been sent by God to protect us. Uh, They deliver God's people from enemies. For instance, they delivered Peter from prison. They reassured Paul in the storm in the sea. They're given charge to keep the righteous in their ways. Uh, Psalm 91 in the passage we talked about says that they're ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. So God sends them to minister to those of us who've trusted Christ. They represent individuals before the throne of God, essentially. And if uh, Revelation two and three uh, talks about the messengers, uh, same word as angels, and to a number of different churches. I know there's different translations. It's possible that there he's talking about to the angel of the church in this area, the angel of the church in this area. It's possible that they're given specific assignments to congregations, uh, specific congregations. So it, I wouldn't die on this hill, but it's possible that God has an angel uh, for GFC Don Mills. Like, hey, that's debated, but angels are everywhere. Angels are all throughout scripture. It's amazing stuff. A few years ago, Shar and I uh, were at a, a week-long retreat. We tried to go every May, and this year they brought in Tim Mackey, who is one of the teachers of the Bible Project. And I, I forget what book we were going through. I think it might have been, uh, I think it was Ezekiel perhaps. But in the evening, he said, uh, that, you know, there's an optional session where about the Bible Project was about to release this video series on spiritual beings. And so he said, you don't have to come, but if you're interested in Uh, spiritual beings, angels, demons, come out tonight. And he he came out, uh, we came out that night, Char and I, and we sat in the room, there were maybe 25 of us. And he's like, let me just tell you, because I thought, this is all wacky stuff. Like this is stuff that maybe one wing of the church believes, but I never paid attention to it very much. And he just began to teach what he'd learned as he studied angels throughout all of scripture, how they're involved in our lives and history and um, nations today and what's going on in the world. And then he showed us the, before it had been released on YouTube, the first video of, of this uh, series on angelic beings. Well, the end of the night, uh, we go back to our room and I look over at Shar, and her eyes are like, <laughs> we were just, I think we lay awake at night in bed thinking, wow, to think that there actually is a spiritual world out there. I mean, we believe it. If you read scripture but there's actually this spiritual world that angels and demons are actually active in our world. They explain so much of what's going on around us. We're completely oblivious to this a lot of the time, but there's a spiritual world out there that's real. Uh, We don't think enough about the reality of this, but it's true. So let me ask you a question this morning. If an angel appeared to you, and if you knew it was an angel, would you listen? If an angel appeared to you today and you knew it was an angel, would you listen? Now here's what we do know. If an angel appeared to you and you knew it was an angel, you'd be terrified, we know that. How do we know that? All over scripture, that's what happened. sometimes angels came undercover, sometimes people weren't aware they were angels until they left. But for instance, when, uh, I'll just give you a few examples when an angel appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he was terrified. The shepherds uh, in the fields of Bethlehem saw a heavenly hosts appear, and they were terrified. The angels are like. By the way, the first words out of angels when they encounter humans usually are like, don't freak out. (laughs) Like we know that, don't be afraid. You know The angels appear to their shepherds and, what would you do? All of a sudden there's this like angelic host. You'd be terrified, I would be terrified. And they're like, oh no, no, no. We want you to hear us, like calm down, first of all. The women who go to Jesus' tomb after his crucifixion were terrified, were frightened by an angel. The guards at Jesus' tomb uh, experienced fear when an angel rolled the stone away. The apostle John, when he wrote uh, the book of Revelation, was filled with fear when he saw an angel on the, uh, the island of Patmos. Daniel was overwhelmed with fear when he saw a heavenly being. You'd be terrified, I, I know that. If an angel appeared to us, we'd be terrified. The question is, would you listen? And here's what I think, I'd like to think so. You know, for instance, I think if an angel appeared and we actually saw how terrifying they are, I mean, that's a very good incentive to listen, right? Uh, if an angel appears and you're just like, you just feel like I need out of here, like this is terrifying, there's good incentive to listen. Uh, so for instance, Joseph, this is amazing. I don't think there's too many people. Joseph, the, uh, Mary's husband, uh, the earthly father of Jesus, not the biological father of Jesus, Angels appeared to him twice. Both times, the angel had a really hard thing to say to him. Like, can you imagine an angel appearing? Your, your betrothed is gonna have a baby. You're not the father, but you don't, don't need to worry. It's, it's from God. That's a hard thing to hear, right? And what does Joseph say? He listens. Another time the angel appears, you need to flee to Egypt for your life. And Joseph listens both times. Philip is told by an angel to go towards uh, the south road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and he goes in the book of Acts. So there's many examples where actually people listen to angels, but there's examples when they don't. Angels told Lot to flee Sodom, and they lingered. Sarah laughed at a message from angels. Now in her defense, I might have laughed too if I were given that message. I'm not proud of that, but it's honest. And she might not have even realized there were angels at the time. But generally, I'd like to think that if an angel appeared here today, we would listen. There would be a good incentive to listen because they're so awesome. And it would just be clear like, man, we need to listen to them because of who they are. But here's where Hebrews goes with this, friends. Would you listen to an angel? Do you wanna know who's even better than an angel? If you and I would listen to angels, Hebrews says, do you want to know who's even worth listening to more than angels? We're looking at the book of Hebrews in the first chapter. The writing, the writer is assuming something of the audience that isn't true of today. He's assuming that uh, his audience, who were Jewish Christians, were aware of angels, that they thought of angels on a regular basis, unlike us today. They, he assumed that they were ready to pay attention to what angels said, and so. You know, Hebrews is gonna be challenging in the next few weeks. There's gonna be a lot of things that the author assumes that were true of his audience that aren't true of us. In this passage, he assumes actually that the listener actually realizes who angels are. And I don't think actually he's correcting a problem of angel worship. I think what he's actually doing in this passage is saying, look, you guys think about angels. You guys know about angels. Let me tell you something about angels. It's good that you listen to angels. It's actually really good that if an angel appeared, you would actually listen to him. But in chapter one, here's what he basically says. Do you wanna know who's even worth listening to more than angels? And then he does what a good rabbi would do in the synagogue back then. He takes passage after passage after passage after passage of the Hebrew scriptures. And he says, let me walk you through the Hebrew scriptures and say, angels are good. There's somebody better than angels. exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D, and so on. If you pay attention to angels, how much more should you pay attention to one who's better than angels? Well, friends, how are angels better? Let's see if we can follow the argument today. I have to say, by the way, um, and I'm gonna say this every week, we're just skimming the surface of Hebrews. Like every one of these references, uh, you could do a deep dive. Like every one of these messages, these quotations from the Hebrew scriptures, we could spend a week looking at each of them. So we're just walking through, I was comforted, I was looking at a sermon by Carson on this passage, D.A. Carson, and as he was preaching, he's like, we don't have time to unpack. Like there's so much here, there's so much here. But how is Jesus better than angels? Well, verses four and five, he has a better name. He has a better name. Back then names were important in Hebrew culture. I had a friend that they had a baby that was unexpected And uh, they named her Senzanina. It's like that's an interesting name. What does that mean? And they said, "Well, it means, oh God, what have we done?" (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, that's a very interesting name. And back then, names were like that. Like you you would name your children, children, and the name would actually mean something. In Jewish thought, the name signified one's character and their dignity, their destiny. And so, names aren't just something like, "What's your name." Names actually signify your value, your worth. And in verse four, the writer says that Jesus uh, has a name that he's inherited that's more excellent than their name. Jesus has a better name than the angels. What's his name? Son. How how do we know that? Well, the writer quotes Psalm two verse seven and second Samuel seven 14 and points to the unique identity of Jesus as God's son. And here's what he's saying, angels are amazing. Angels are messengers from God, but they're not his son. Angel, as amazing as angels are, Jesus is so much more, because only Jesus is God's son. I think of Luke chapter one, where the angels appeared. This is from the mouth of angels themselves. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. Angels themselves are like, we're just angels. We're not God's son, he is God's son. He's so much more. Angels are messengers, but Jesus is God's son exalted to the highest position in the universe. Verses six and seven, not only does Jesus have a better name, but verses six and seven point out secondly, Jesus has a better name, but here's the second way that Jesus is better. He's worshiped and served by angels. Verses six and seven, um, again, when he brings his firstborn to the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So what he's saying is, angels are great, but angels bow before Jesus because he's so much better. Uh, Verse seven, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wins, his ministers a flame of fire. What he's saying is, uh, angels worship Jesus and then angels serve Jesus. If you are somebody who serves another person, you're basically putting them in the exalted place. And here's what Hebrews is saying. Angels are great, but before Jesus, they're only worshipers and servants of Jesus. He is in a much better position than angels. That's why uh, verses eight and nine quote Psalm 45, six and seven and apply them to Jesus. Angels serve and worship. Jesus is the one who served and worshiped. And then he's enthroned. Uh, Verses eight and 13, the writer quotes Psalm 45 and Psalm 110, verse one, and talks about the enthronement of Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus is enthroned on this earth? I was just in the States. Everyone I talked to is like, we do not like the election that's coming up next year. We have no good choices. I don't care whether you're like, what your political persuasion is. Everyone's like, we have no good choices. Whoever wins next year, we're not happy about it aren't you glad that we're very happy with who's on the throne of the universe? Aren't you glad that we, we can just say thank God that Jesus is enthroned in the universe? And the author makes a point, guess who's on the throne of the universe? Not angels. Angels surround the throne, but Jesus is sitting on the throne. Jesus is greater than them. And then finally, he's creator. So he's got a better name. He's worshiped and served by angels. He's enthroned, angels aren't. And then verses eight to 13, he's creator, not creation. Angels are like us, they're created. They're higher than humans, but they're lower than God. They're creatures like us. But Jesus was never created. Jesus is eternal, Jesus is God. He's not like angels or like us. He existed before creation because he is the creator. In fact, in verse 14, he makes an interesting point. He says, actually, angels serve God to benefit God's people, according to verse 14. Their work is important, but it's not ultimate. The work of angels tales in comparison to Jesus and his authority. The writer takes two things that the audience loves, the Hebrew scriptures and angels, and he meshes them together to say, guys, I know you love angels. I know you think about angels, unlike us but I wanna show you today from the scripture, if you would listen to an angel, I wanna tell you that there's somebody far better than angels who's come. Out of all the creatures who exist, perhaps they're the greatest, but there's somebody greater than them, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Really an argument from lesser to greater, right? If If you respect angels, how much more should we respect and listen to and treasure and love Jesus? All right, uh, this morning I was talking to Shar about the sermon and saying like, this is going to be hard because the first half of it really is predicated on this whole thing of angels. And she's like, yeah, we don't even think of angels. I hope this might be the weirdest sermon that you've ever heard. I don't know. It might be the weirdest sermon you've ever heard. You might be thinking right now, what does any of this have to do with my life? Well, follow his argument in chapter two, it has a lot to do with our lives. Based on Jesus being better than angels, what he's basically saying, here's the application, and this applies to all of us here today. In chapter two, verses one to four, he says, let me bring home why I'm talking to you about angels, about why Jesus is better than angels. What's the point, he says. Therefore, if Jesus is better than angels, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Okay, if an angel appeared to you, you'd pay attention. Jesus has appeared to us and has spoken. Therefore, we've gotta pay even closer attention to Jesus than if an angel appeared and spoke to us. And here he, he goes on and say, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, if an angel speaks, and or an angel sent from God, you can count on their message, although uh, actually Paul said in Galatians that if an angel appeared and preached a false gospel, don't listen, so even, not even angels are infallible, but angels are generally reliable. If you'd listen to an angel, and if you disobeyed an angel, there would be consequences. How much more do we need to pay attention to the message that comes from Jesus? In fact, he goes on and he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. And God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Here's what he's saying. You'd probably listen to angels. They're a very big deal. There'd be consequences if you didn't listen to an angel. How much more if we don't listen to Jesus? Friends, what are the stakes of, I can't think of how many sermons I've heard in my life. Uh, When there's a sermon rooted in God's word, I hate to say it, but right now you're exposing yourself to danger. I'm just a preacher. Uh, I have no authority. My authority comes from the word of God. The minute I lift my finger from the text and start giving my own thoughts, stop listening. As long as my finger's in the text and the word is being declared right now, what the author is saying is when you hear God's word preached to you, there's a risk How dangerous is it if the word of God is spoken and we don't pay attention, there's a risk here. What are the stakes if we don't pay attention to God's revealed word through Jesus, especially since the message is so well attested? What the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, Jesus is better than angels. And so if you'd pay attention to the message of angels, you'd better pay attention to the message of Jesus. Your soul is at stake. As we look through Hebrews, there's a number of warning passages in Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is written for a very reason. He's written to a group of struggling Christians and the writer builds up and makes these arguments and he says, "Let, let me give you a warning now. A lot's at stake. And right now he's putting, this is his first warning. He's saying, guys, we need to listen to Jesus. This is a convicting one. Because if you look at verse one, the danger isn't denying Jesus, the danger is drifting from Jesus. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. C.S. Lewis said this: if you examined a hundred people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out by honest argument. He says, probably not that many. Do not most people simply drift away. And here he says, guys, don't drift. If angels are amazing, how dare we drift from the beauty and glory of Jesus? You know, here's the reality. Uh, the truth about Jesus can become so familiar and we get distracted by other things. Slowly we begin to drift. And the writer to Hebrews says, don't. The consequences are severe. If ignoring the message of angels is dangerous, how could we ever begin to drift away from the message of Jesus? He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Uh, friends, I, when I got married, uh, I honestly felt like I woke up the next day and i like, I'm married, I can't believe this. I look over at Shar, and I'm like, I have pulled off the greatest heist in the history of, like honestly, and then I, I, I really appreciate what my friends says, he's been married a long time, he says every, time, every morning he wakes up and he looks over and his wife's still there and he says, God is good. You know. She didn't leave in the middle of the night, God is so good. Um, there was a period in our marriage where um, I lost that wonder. I began to become a critic of my wife. Our marriage predictably began to suffer There was a day by God's grace when I looked at her again and I recaptured the wonder, what a gift she is. I do not deserve this woman. She is one of God's God's greatest gifts apart from a very short list, my salvation. She is one of God's great gifts in my life. But for a while I drifted, I lost the wonder and things got a lot better once I recaptured that wonder. I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying, how many of us came to Jesus and he radically transformed our lives? And when he did, we said, I can't believe the grace. But over time, we take it for granted. Our hearts become cold. And the writer to Hebrews is like, don't let it happen. Take a fresh look at the beauty and glory of Jesus. Uh, Pretend it's the day after he saved you and look at his wonder, look at his glory, look at his majesty, and recapture the wonder again. Drifting is infinitely dangerous, John Piper says. As Trevin Wax says, we face our greatest danger, not when errors start to win, but when old truths no longer wow. Uh, your greatest danger isn't perhaps heresy, your greatest danger is drifting, losing the wonder of Jesus he says, we receive good gifts from God and we grow bored with blessings, spiritual dullness, blurry vision, hardness of heart. This is the challenge for the church. He goes on later and he says, we wander when we lose our wonder. We wander when we lose our wonder. Friends, what's the solution? Verse one says, pay closer attention. This morning friends, whatever's on your mind, pay closer attention. Put on your glasses, gaze at the glory of Jesus again. See his majesty, see his beauty, see his greatness. This is by the way, something that requires ongoing action. Keep doing this. The minute we stop doing this, we'll start to drift and drifting is infinitely dangerous. Here's what Hebrews is telling us. Angels are great, but there's nobody better than Jesus. There is no greater message than the message of the gospel that Jesus came to bring. That Jesus has done everything necessary to undo the damage of sin and ultimately the world. And that calls us to turn to him and trust him. Friends, there's no creature ever who lived that is remotely as great as our eternal God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. The stakes are high and so pay careful attention And don't drift away. Father, we see one of the great dangers facing us. We've heard about Jesus. But Lord, we're so prone to drifting from Jesus and starting to value lesser things. We wander because we lose our wonder. Or the reality is uh, it wouldn't even take an angel to impress us. I know that I'm blown away constantly by lesser things than even angels. Uh, I think of the concerts I go to or the sports events that get me so excited. Um, Lord, there's one better than all of that. There's one better than even angels, and that's Jesus. And so I pray, would you help us to pay attention to the person and beauty of Jesus? I pray that you would help us to never lose our wonder at the amazing truths of the gospel and the amazing person of Jesus. Help us not to drift from that message. I pray today that you would help us to pay careful attention to that. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who's never trusted in Jesus, I pray that right now they would look to Jesus. I pray that they would turn to him and realize he's so much better than anyone or anything else. And Father, for the rest of us maybe who've trusted Jesus, Lord, help us to turn away from the glory of our careers, which is so meager, the glory of our possessions, which is really nothing. Help us to turn to the beauty of Jesus. Help us to see his goodness. Help us to see what the world can't offer. Help us to see he who makes our joy complete. Help us to see the only one that satisfies. We pray in his name, amen.